cleans up quite well, actually. <laughs> what a joy it is to meet together as God's family, isn't it? Um, we are so pleased and excited to have Andy and Ganilla back with us. Uh, if you were on one of the A schools, I'm sure Andy will talk about this, but if you were on one of the A schools that we've hosted here, I really strongly encourage you to make sure you get to the B school uh, in October. It's on the website, uh, so if you're watching this later as well, go to the website and get the details. But uh, we want to uh, bring in our tithes and offerings today, and I want to encourage you to, to ask God, can I sow extra into Andy and Ganilla as well? And so if you want to do that, you can... Include it all in the same. If you're splitting your offering, you can make a memo. Uh, if you're going to give through the app, uh, if you want to give to Andy and Ganilla, designate it through the uh, Outreach and Missions uh, tab so that we know that that's for them. And uh, we're going to pass the baskets and receive the, uh, the, the tithes and offerings from those of us in person. Thank you, Robert. Thank you to those of you who give online as well. That's always a joy. Uh, just to see how much you partner with what God is doing here. So bless you for your giving. And uh, if you need a receipt for cash, make sure you take an envelope and uh, fill that out. Well, I would like you to give a great big welcome. Are you both going to come up and be applauded? No, we're not. Okay, Andy's going to come up. But I'd like you to give a great big welcome to Andy and Ganilla. We love these two so much. And uh, okay, you're two and a half hours away, but that's close enough to be family right yeah absolutely good it's always a joy to have them and andy i know you're going to bless us again this morning so come on up let me give you the microphone and then i'll get your podium thank you good morning thank you for having us here and inviting us we really do value the relationship perhaps you could put your hand up if you've not met us before or seen us before oh there's a few of you and you'll notice by my accent that we come from Texas. <laughs> and those, okay. How are you? I'm good. Good. Um, I want to, I really want to underline, thank you for that worship this morning. I just, I enjoyed that. Um, I want to underline what Mark has just mentioned and the B-School if you, I know a few of you here have done the A school. You know, A comes before B. You know, we try to keep things as simple as possible to help us primarily. You know, so don't don't use that or take that as as offensive to you. It's for us. <laughs> um, so we've got a B school coming up, second of October, and I would really encourage you to come. We're gonna, we, we do these B-Schools with two team leaders. Ganilla and I are team leaders in Father Heart Ministries, and Leonard and Leslie Hayes are also team leaders. And we, we do these schools together. We run them a little bit differently to the A-School, but we see the um, actual B-School as a follow-on, direct follow-on to the A-School. I'm going to leave this one over here. I'm too cluttered up on my podium. I want to unclutter. And what what we see what we see happening um, from you know I guess you might call this a prophetic perspective is that we see 
the love of the Father coming into people's hearts and so changing their hearts and lives. And one of the things that we realize and see then at that point is, you know, what happens? You know, do, you know we know God loves us and we're experiencing that love and we're living that love out. Where does that love go to? And where that love goes to is really us, us work, us being with the Father and learning what it is to be sons. Sons. Not servants, sons. And that's really the perspective we have a lot of time talking about on the B school. So I would, I would encourage you, if you've done an A school, come to the B school. If you've not done an A school, we're going to have another one here in the spring of next year. If you, it's either going to be in March or the end of February. So we're, we're nailing that down right now, Mark and I. You're able, Pastor and I are, are actually working that out right now. So we will, be, we will actually be in touch with you about that. So, good morning. Are you doing well? You feel loosened up now after your coffee and your, your worship and your dancing and your... You know, you've got to express yourselves. It's really good, eh? You know, we, we've, we've lived in Africa. We've lived in Ghana. And we've, we've been going into Ghana now for over 30 years. And we've been in African worship many, many, many times. And it's extraordinary how they can dance and dance and dance. You know, they dance when they give their offerings. They dance when they worship, they dance when they praise, they dance when they're preaching, they dance when they come in, they dance when they go out, you know, because there's so much dance and movement and in their culture, you know, within the, the African culture, that it's, it's just amazing. And music, music to them is a huge part of who they are. Is that true? It's a huge part of who they are. So um, I think that's great. And it's wonderful. Wow. I guess you're wondering what I'm going to say this morning, eh? I'm also wondering that. <laughs> Let's start in um, John chapter 15. John chapter 15 and verse 9. This is a verse that has really deeply impacted my life. And it was actually from this verse that I, I encountered God as Father in a, in a very real and, and, and dramatic, powerful way. And, you know, we talk about the power of God. It was, it was the love of God that I experienced in a powerful way. When we talk about the power of God, what we're really talking about is the love of God moving extraordinarily in such a powerful way that it changes people's lives. God is love, but he's not power. But he expresses himself in love by power. Are you with me? It's powerful. Okay. So Jesus says, as the Father loved me, I have also loved you, abide in my love. And those first five words there were huge to me. When I 
saw these words that I'd read many times before in November 2006, it was like my heart opened to something that I'd never seen or understood or experienced before. And in the space of the next 15 to 20 minutes, I was, I was crying like a baby, overwhelmed by the sheer enormity of God's love and God's acceptance for me. It was an incredible, incredible encounter. I felt absolutely loved and I felt accepted for who I was. Despite my staff, despite my shame, despite my sin, etc., etc., I felt phenomenally loved and accepted in that place of encountering love. And I started to realize something in the preceding weeks and months as that experience actually deepened in my own heart. I experienced something that I, I, I didn't think was there and I, I'd never understood really what it was to die. What does it mean to die? And you know, we, you know, we talk about dying to self, we, we talk about these ideas, we've got to get hold of God and die to self. And I'd never really grasped that. I'd seen that and read that and I, you know, I, I knew where it was in Scripture, but I'd never experienced that. What does that mean? And I think in, in the period of time when I was experiencing this extraordinary love break into my heart, I was in a very... Um, it was a very solitude setting, if you like. I was alone with God many, many mornings, just being alone with God and letting him love me. And in that process, as his love was coming to me, for the first time in my life, I started to see and understand something about dying, about letting go, about taking my hands off the reins and letting him take over and I wouldn't have imagined I wouldn't have come to the conclusion that in the place of experiencing love we're going to have that same sense as well that this is this is a place where we encounter love we're also being confronted with our own control and our own need to let go because there's part of our heart that is rightfully dying. One amen. <laughs> because I, I, never, I, I never thought that would be possible. Sure, everything is going to come to life. And everything was coming to life, but it was coming to a life in the sense that this grain of seed, this grain of wheat was being put in the ground and buried and being put to death. And in that place of death, I was finding a sense of his love and life that I'd never experienced before. It was in that season, it was in that process of time that I wondered whether we would ever do ministry again. In that season of time, we were both very broken and it had become very apparent and real to us that, that we really needed help. There was issues in our lives that we needed help with. 
in our relationship, in our marriage, and we weren't even sure there was some doubt as to whether our marriage would actually make it or not. So there was a lot of questions out there, a lot of issues going on in our lives. We, w- we weren't sure about a lot of these things. It was like we, we really felt kind of a little bit bankrupt on the inside. Even though we were Christians, even though we loved God, even though we'd served Him, even though we knew Scripture, spoke in tongues, and all these other things. It was like we felt, or I personally felt like I was dying. It was the end of something in my heart. And in that place, in that whole experience, I'm encountering a love that I've never encountered before. I'm encountering God as a father like I'd never encountered or experienced that before. And I'm, I'm literally experiencing something that is way, way, way beyond what I know here. But something is filling my heart that truly is bringing incredible transformation to who I am. Wow. In that process, I think where God meets us often is in a place of humility. He doesn't meet us in a place of strength. You may have realized that. A a lot of you here are over 40. I know you guys are a little bit younger, which is great. Um, but but th- those over 40, 45 kind of really come to realize this, that, that God does not meet us in a place of strength. He meets us in a place of weakness. And what was that? <laughs> Have you adjusted your... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so we realize and start to understand that it's that it's really in our weakness, in our humility, in our strengthlessness that we discover something of God we've never found or known or experienced in all our strength, in all our anointing, in all our own ability, instead of it's in our weakness that Kabam, all of a sudden, wow, you love me that much. Because oftentimes we're ministering out of strength and not out of weakness. I think when when I get to heaven, there's a number of people that I'd like to have conversations with about stories and situations in the Bible. Because I'd like to get some of the kind of behind-the-scenes details about some of those situations because I think they're quite fascinating. And there's a number of stories that just wow me. One of those stories that wows me is when Paul gets to Cyprus and he meets Sergius Paulus and he sees this man. A miracle takes place. This man gets converted. And there's a confrontation that goes on between Paul and almost like a witch doctor, Elemas, that was trying to pervert the right way of, of, of the pro-council. I'd like to have 
conversations with guys like th about this. When I, when I get around people that are well-known ministers, I often ask them questions, you know, back, you know, stories from behind the scenes. They're fascinating. Well, one of those stories I think I'm going to ask is David. And one of the things that happens after David had been anointed to be king, all of a sudden his world was turned upside down. It wasn't like things got better. Now his life was in danger. A really good book to read is a book by Gene Edwards called The Tale of Three Kings. Have you read that, Mark? It's a great book to read. We read that in y when we led YWAM DTSs, we made every student read that book. This excellent book, The Tale of Three Kings. Well, here in 1 Samuel 22, David is hiding because he's trying to preserve his life. He's hiding because he fears losing his life. Because this, the king Saul is on a, a rampage. He has a vendetta to really rid the earth of David. Because he's realized that Samuel has anointed David to be the next king of Israel. And there was this one cave in Israel called the Cave of Adullam. Have you heard about the Cave of Adullam? And what happened in the Cave of Adullam was that David was hiding there. Okay? He was actually hiding. He was afraid. He wanted to keep himself protected. And that's what we do when people are after us, don't we? we? We try to hide, you know. Well, in 1 Samuel 22, what we see happening is all of a sudden a whole crowd of people discovered David's in the cave. He's in the cave. And what do they do? They go to join him there. Because they have a heart like his. They're seeing what he's seeing. They have a prophetic sense similar to his prophetic sense about the future of Israel and what, what's going to happen, etc., etc. And these people just gather around David. And you have to understand, they didn't gather around him because he had a huge church spectacular worship team he had all the bells and whistles he had a nice car a nice building they gathered around this guy because they saw something and they believed something that i believe was also in their own hearts despite their own brokenness despite their own stuff and so in 1 Samuel 22, and verse 2, listen to this. It says, And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. So he became, he being David, became the captain over them, and they were about 400 men with him 
All these people are seeing something and realizing something. God's done something in their hearts and lives. But these people are in distress. These people are in debt. And these people are discontented. Now, if you were asking me to grow a team or get a band of men together that was going to take a nation or go to a nation, I wouldn't necessarily be looking for people with those particular characteristics. For a start, he's got no money. He's in debt. But what that reveals is the brokenness. They're at a place. They're broken. They're at a place of vulnerability. They're at a place of weakness. But despite that, they're seeing something that a lot of people in the nation weren't actually seeing. And I find that fascinating. I find that absolutely fascinating. You see, God is not as worried about our brokenness as we are. He already knows we're messed up. He already knows we're like little children. He already knows we've made every mistake in the book. He already knows we've failed. He already knows we've missed it, missed the mark, lied, everything. The Bible does say that all men are liars. I think I heard Jack Frost say that once. So when you come and call me a liar, there's three fingers pointing back at you. <laughs> All men are liars. And so we, we have this picture often of ministry or people in leadership that we, we, we want to or we long to run to someone with anointing, with strength, with charisma, with something that looks spectacular. We've often been attracted to that sort of leader. This is what Henry Nouwen said. Henry Nouwen was a Catholic. I'm sure you're okay with that. I'm okay with it because this man knew God. And he was... he. Died a few years ago, but he lived in Toronto before that. He's from Holland, and that makes him Dutch, from the Netherlands. You know, that's what you call people from the Netherlands, Dutch. And, um, <laughs> yeah, that's right, a little bit of, <laughs> this is where the country is. <laughs> but this man had a revelation of God. This is what he says. The Christian leader of the future is called to be completely irrelevant and to stand in this world with nothing to offer but his or her vulnerable self. God loves, God loves, not because of what we do or accomplish, but because God has created and redeemed us in love. Wow. Wow. It's okay, I thought we were going to have a musical accompaniment to the quote. 
And it was going to say, that was Henry Nowen. <laughs> when, we look at, when we look at the life of Jesus, again, I am, I am intrigued as, as much as I'm fascinated about the miracles, the demonstrations of power, the healings, and everything else. I, I'm also fascinated behind what what's behind that. Where is that coming from? How is that possible? How does that take place? Now we know in one sense, well, we believe God, we trust God, we have faith, and the Holy Spirit moves, which in simple is is the truth. That is the truth. But I'm also fascinated about Jesus. I'm also fascinated on his, his, his statue with God, his place with God in the incarnation. So I'm fascinated by that. Because in Jesus, we have the second member of the Godhead. Jesus, there is no doubt, he is God. He's never been anything less than God. 100% God. God incarnate. But then when you, you start to read some of, the, some of the things that are written about Jesus in the New Testament, you start to realize and understand the attitude and the heart of Jesus. And you can start to see something that kind of opens our perspective just a little bit wider. Philippians chapter 2 I want to start reading in verse 5. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5. Let this mind be with you, which is also with Jesus Christ, who being in the form of God, didn't consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of a man and being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. One of the words there, or one of the words that Paul uses there, he says he made himself of no reputation. Some translations will actually say he humbled himself. In the Greek, that word is kenosis. What that means is that Jesus fully lowered himself to invade our world, to come into our existence, to come into the place where we live. Jesus lowered himself. And so he lays down. He doesn't give up or relinquish. He lays down his divine rights. Obviously, if you're coming into the body of a man, you cannot remain omnipresent. So he lays that down. Still his. He's all-powerful, all-known, but he's laying that down. Coming in the servant, in the, in the you know, coming in the appearance of a man born of a woman. And this is this is something 
so important for us in our belief and what we, how, how we see Jesus. Because what we see here in the life of Jesus is Jesus fully, fully coming into our world, lowering himself. He emptied himself of his outward glory by reducing himself to the form of a lowly servant. He became human. Here is God. God now has flesh. Flesh and humanity exist within the Godhead. Wow. Mortality, flesh, humanity exists right now within the Godhead in the form of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Now in that place, in that place of Jesus lowering himself, in that place of Jesus saying, I'm going to take on, I'm going to become a man, being born of a woman, being found in the appearance of a man, obviously, Jesus steps into a place of vulnerability that he's never known before. He becomes vulnerable. Really vulnerable. And you just need to read the stories in, in the first part of the Gospels when you realize that, 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 that Jesus' life was literally in danger it just in the first months of his existence in a body. He had to escape to Egypt. Okay? So Jesus did go to Africa before me. I find that fascinating. I find that fascinating because what is being revealed through God is a place of vulnerability and a place of humility. And what Paul says at the start of that statement that he reads, that we've just read, in 2 Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5, it says, Our attitude should be the same of this, of Jesus Christ. Jesus had all the children coming to him. They were coming to him, they were sitting on his knee, he was talking to his disciples and he was obviously holding them and embracing them and enjoying them and everything. And then Jesus starts to talk because some of the disciples are getting a little bit worried, a little bit concerned. So Jesus starts to talk to them and because he's got a child sitting on his knee, you know, the child becomes the example. As he's trying to relate something to his disciples. And he says in Matthew 18, verse 3, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Wow. 
Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, when I hear that, and when I read that, and when I read statements as well of things that Henry Nouwen have said, has said, I realize and I start to understand that, that really what God is trying to produce in us as a consequence of us encountering and experiencing love is a childlikeness that some of us never really discover. A childlikeness, a simplicity of faith, a vulnerability, a profound ability to trust outside of our own faculties of our mind, but trusting from our heart, just like a child does. Wow. I don't think it's that easy in America. I don't think it's that very easy in Western cultures. We've traveled a lot this year. We spent a lot of time in Britain, Scandinavia, as well as being to Africa and Bangladesh and Brazil. But I don't think it's very easy here in America and the Western world. The political atmosphere within our nations is very divisive. is very polarized and it demands that you have the answer that you know it that you can out argue or debate your opponent win the argument even have it proved in a court of law and be right so there's a great value within our culture about being right. And yet oftentimes, even as believers, as Christians, we jump into one camp or the other camp. It doesn't just happen here in America. It happens in, in other parts of, of Europe as well. We see it in other parts of Europe. And we pursue, presume that the party or the political perspective that we're coming from is obviously right and we, we, we obviously take their perspective and many, 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 many times when we're um, perpetrating or, or discussing that, we are moving away from this place of vulnerability. We're moving away from this place of humility and we step into an arena that's rife with the political spirit. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't you know, vote for one party or another party, of course we should. It's our democratic responsibility. And I haven't put any of this in my notes. I'm just saying this off my heart. But it's become very, very divisive. One of the things that I've realized and seen is that often the world is just looking at us and asking the question, 
are we going to love people for who they are? Are we going to love them for who they are? And so what Jesus says here is, unless you are converted and become as little children, you by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. I love the Passion Translation. It has a lot of passion to it. It's an old joke. But this is what it says. Learn this well. Unless you dramatically change your way of thinking and become teachable like a child, you'll never be able to enter in. Whoever continually humbles himself to become like this child, little child, is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Wow. You see, you know, humility is not something you just park at once. Humility is where we live. Humility is where we live. Vulnerability is where we live. Ever since that first time when I really encountered the love of the Father, something so deep had happened in my heart, I, I, I realized that, that it's there. That love is there. That vulnerability and sense of brokenness is there. I, I don't need to look for something, but it's actually there in my heart. I just need to be aware of it and connect to it. Are you with me? It's actually there, actually in my heart. Let's read that again. Learn this well. Unless you dramatically change your way of thinking and become teachable like a little child, you'll never be able to enter in. Whoever continually hums himself to become like this little child is the greatest one in the kingdom of heaven. The season that we're coming into, my friends, is not about right and wrong. It's not even about left or right. The season we're coming into right now is a season of whether or not we're willing to walk in a, in a sense of vulnerability and humility that perhaps some of us, including myself, have never really understood or known before. And as Henry Nouwen prophesies, as he says, a Christian leader of the future is called to be completely irrelevant and to stand this world with nothing to offer but his or her vulnerable self as Jesus did. Wow. And looking further at the life of Jesus. So Jesus, on the one hand, Paul is given that perspective from Philippians chapter 2, that Jesus living of no reputation. Then Jesus has the dialogue with his disciples when the children are coming to him and a child is sat on his lap. And then we have the example of when Jesus was in the wilderness. So let's turn to Luke chapter 4 and verse 1 and see what Luke says. This is, this is really, I, I think this is so relevant for us right now. 
It is so relevant for the body of Christ. Then Jesus, you see, Jesus had just been filled with the Spirit, heard the Father speak to him. I'm going to say, when that happens in our life, when we get filled with power, filled with anointing, and hear God say to us, you are my beloved son, in you I'm well pleased, we're ready to change the world, aren't we? We're ready. I'm on the plane, folks. I'm gone. I, let's go to Africa. Let's go to Pakistan. Let's just go and preach. But for Jesus, no. Luke 4 verse 1 says, Then Jesus, being filled with the Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Wow. Wow. So, you know, we're, we're marching this way. The whole throng of us is marching in this way. Here is Jesus. He's marching this way. And he's, he, he's heard the Father speak to him. He's filled with the Spirit. And then he's facing his adversary, the devil. And the devil comes to him and says, Come on, Jesus, you know, you're hungry. You can make these stones into bread. When we look at these temptations, the three temptations that actually take part, we see something. Again, this is what Henry now says. There he, Jesus, was tempted by the free compulsions of this world to be relevant, to be spectacular, and to be powerful. To be relevant, to be spectacular, and to be powerful. And when you read the, the narrative, the story of what happened with Jesus, you see that happening. And so in the wilderness... In this place of solitude, in this place of, perhaps we'd call it warfare, in this place of loneliness, in this place of profound weakness and extreme vulnerability, everything was getting tested. The enemy was trying to push every single button. He was really trying to get Jesus to, to just walk away from the Father because now he's living in the body of a man. And he's so vulnerable. I don't think we realize how vulnerable he was. This is... This is Jesus, the Son of God. This is God incarnate. Hungry, thirsty, being tempted. Being shown bread. Being shown jump off the te temple, be spectacular. Showing the nations of the world by the devil. All these things. And the defining victory for Jesus 
in the wilderness was that he stayed utterly dependent upon his father. In his vulnerability, he knew the father. In his sense of being, you know, out there under attack, his vulnerability was completely in the father. I believe that we discover his power in our life in a place of brokenness. We discover his power in our life in the place of vulnerability. Not because we're strong, but because in our weakness we see something and find something that truly is God's strength and God's power. And I love Luke. There's a great book called The Charismatic Gospel. It's all about Luke. It's a commentary on the book of Luke. It's a fantastic little book. And I love the way Luke puts this particular narrative. Because when Jesus comes out of the spirit, out of the wilderness, sorry, for the first time in scripture, Luke has mentioned before that Jesus got filled with the Spirit, was being led by the Spirit, was being affirmed by the Father, but the first time in Luke 4 verse 14, this is what, this is what Luke says. I'm going to read this to you. Then Jesus returned in the power of of the Spirit to Galilee. Wow. Power is discovered in weakness. Power is found in vulnerability. It's in that place. In our irrelevance, in our vulnerability, we discover something of God that cannot be found in our arrogance, in our know-it-all attitude, in our strength. But we discover something of God when we are emptied, just like Jesus. Because Jesus emptied himself. He emptied himself. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? You know, I love when I go, I'm, I get around, meet a lot of people and I get asked lots of questions and I'm also one that asked a lot of questions. And I love when I get a Christian leader and I ask them a question, they say, I don't know. I like that answer. I like it. Because they're not trying to make anything up or look good. They just don't know. Because they're being 
real. They're being authentic. And that's what the nations are crying out for. They're crying out for authenticity. They're crying out for the real God to be portrayed through our lives. The real God to be portrayed through our lives. Wow. My friends, don't be discouraged that you're a small group. We love coming here. Gunnar and I love coming here. We love Mark and Jane. Je Jane's in our homeland right, right now. It's the same homeland for my homeland, you understand. I come here, there's so much openness to share. It's wide open. I go to a lot of places, I cannot be as honest, as real and free as we are here. Because there's an openness here. Because you see that in the vulnerability and the humility of your leaders. Their reliance upon God, not their own ability. They're not <laughs> clever dicks, my friend. They're reliant upon the Father. So I want to conclude with that. And I want to finish off by just giving you that whole quote. The second quote from Henry now, where it says, about Jesus. Jesus was tempted by the three compulsions of the world to be relevant, to be spectacular and powerful. There he affirmed God as the only source of his identity. Solitude is the place of the great struggle and great encounter. The struggles against the compulsions of the true self and the encounter with the loving God who offers himself as the substance of the new self. Ooh. Wow. So Father, I thank you you're here right now. You're in this room. You've been here all morning. And you're showing us things, Father. You're showing us your heart, your love, who you are. We just thank you for your grace. We thank you that in our weakness, in our vulnerability, in our brokenness, it's there that we find you, God. Thank you, Father, we don't need to be spectacular or relevant or powerful because we can know you and that is merely enough. Father, I thank you that your love is just moving right across this room right now. Who you are, Father, is coming across this room right now. You're pouring yourself in the depths of our hearts. You're revealing who you are. You're loving us at the place of our brokenness. 
our dysfunction. You're going so deep into the very core of our being. There's never been a moment in any of our existences when you've not loved us. Despite our sin, despite our stuff, you've never failed to love us. And right now you're loving us. Right now. Just put your hand on your heart. He's loving you right now. He's loving you right now. He's loving you right now. Why? Because he loved you. Thank you, Father, for what you've spoken, for what you've said. And I ask you, Father, that you go deeper into people's lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. Mr. Mark Burns, Reverend Minister. <laughs> Thank you so much, Andy. I'd like you just to take a moment and sit in that place of childlikeness. There's a phrase we love to say around here, and I think it fits right now. There's always more. Not more in you being elevated or puffed up. There's always more in God meeting us in our humility, in our vulnerability, in our dependence on Him. Jesus stayed in that for 40 days. We're going to stay in it for another 30 seconds. Because God wants to do just a little more in your heart right now. Just let your heart take note of this place that you're in with him. Because it's a place that he wants to continue to meet with us. And as we draw our time together to a close, I'd like to invite you to notice two things. The first is that the enemy is a lot further away right now 
the devil left him after he'd stayed in his place of vulnerability. But also Jesus was sent. And I'd like you to just look in your heart right now for a sense of commissioning or partnering or hope or whatever it is that God wants to give you that's carrying you into the next step. So, Father, I bless the increase of freedom you've given to us today. I bless the increase of honesty and humility and vulnerability and trust in you that you've given to each of your children in this room. And we agree together that you can take us where you want to take us and tell us to do what you want us to do. And we are excited to come play with you, Daddy, and be your kids and join in with what you're doing, whatever it may look like. In Jesus' name, amen. So could I ask you, as you have an adventure with your Heavenly Daddy this week, come on back next week and tell us about it. I've no idea what he's going to do, but I'm confident there's going to be lots of it. So come on back Wednesday night and we'll thank him in our prayer time. Come on back Sunday. We'll celebrate together all that God wants to do. Have an exciting week. Look out for one another. God bless you.